Um, the kingdom of God is everything that you've ever wanted, but you never actually get. Uh, the kingdom of God is, are, are things that you see glimpses of. You see uh, righteousness. You see people taken care of. You see the world uh, being put right at various times, but not very frequently. And you go, yes, that's what should be happening. The reason why you have that desire is because God implanted that in you. You are created with a desire for things to go rightly. You are created with a desire that people shouldn't go hungry and that, and that the world should be set right and that things, bad things shouldn't happen and good things should happen. And the reason why you were created with that is because you were created with that by God. And so what's true about you and me is that we are people who desire the kingdom of God even though we don't call it that. And so if you're here and you're somebody who, who believes and you've never really uh, associated with yourself with the idea of the kingdom of God, like many of us have not, then you're, you're in good company. And it's time to begin thinking about and talking about what it is that Jesus actually came to do. He did come to go to the cross, but he did that in, to enable us to be a part of his kingdom. And so he comes on the scene in, in the Gospels, and he immediately begins teaching about his kingdom. And he begins saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And essentially what he's saying is he's saying, it has finally arrived. And now you and I can say, like, all right, if, if everything is supposed to be set right when Jesus comes then how come things aren't set right right now? Well, we can do a sermon about that in, in its fullness later, but in short, what we see in Jesus is we see the inauguration, the beginning, just, just a, a short section, a little piece of God's inbreaking reign into a world that is under the rule and reign of the evil one, under Satan. So we've got the kingdom of Satan, and we've got the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of Satan are all of the things that we hate. It, it, is, it is ISIS. It is, uh, it is landlords taking advantage of their renters. It is people going hungry. It is, that is the kingdom of Satan. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that we may have life because he is bringing his kingdom. He is bringing his rule and his reign. And if you've been with us for some time, what we've talked about is this, is that... Uh, Ultimately, what, what, what this means for us is that there is this kingdom of darkness, it's the kingdom of Satan, that now is going to be thwarted little by little by the kingdom of God being revealed, and Jesus shows us that um, through his life. I can't see somebody's head over here. That's driving me crazy, too. Okay. Very distracted today. I'm very sorry. So... Um, so uh, we are here as God's people. So if you're a part of the church, you are here as God's people to be kingdom revealers. We are, you have been brought into the kingdom of God, out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son for this purpose, to be people who are revealing God's kingdom. This is what our God is like. This is what it looks like to live under the rule and the reign of God, to live under his rule and his reign in our lives. This is what this means. And so as I was thinking about this, this passage, one of the things that really, uh, an example that popped out to me was, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Red Dawn. But when I was a kid, um, I was like nine or 10 and I was watching this movie, Red Dawn. There's blood and guts. I don't know how that happened, but I was watching Red Dawn. If you've ever seen it, the, the old one, not the new one with that guy who's ugly, whatever, I think his name is Channing Tatum or whatever his name is. But um, in any case, uh, 
if you've ever seen that movie, one of the things uh, about it is, is, is it's so cool because these kids are in high school and they show up to high school and then all of a sudden the Cubans and the Russians show up, which is such a weird combination in some way. I guess historically it's not, but it was just a weird combination of Cuba and Russia attacking America. And so they come in on uh, parachutes and they're attacking, they're shooting people and all of this stuff. And then all these guys jump in this pickup truck and they take off. And ultimately what ends up happening is that these kids, they gather together, they get some weapons, and they begin to terrorize uh, the Cubans and the Russians. And so they begin to sabotage the things that they're doing and saving people in these little pockets at little different times. They begin to save people. They begin to attack this enemy. They do all end up dying in the end, or most of them, so don't, that's not the best part of the example. But in the middle of the movie is the best part when they are attacking these, uh, these people. But that's a little bit about what it's, what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God because we have this kingdom of darkness that we are against. We have this kingdom of darkness that we are pushing back against. And we are to be this subversive culture that is sabotaging what the enemy is trying to do. But too frequently, we either just deny that, don't really think about it, don't think about our responsibility in that, and sometimes we really are just people who we may hear the gospel and basically we say to ourselves, we say to other people, you can hear this on the radio, is listen to some Christian radio uh, you know, feed on uh, Spotify the other day and, I, was, and I, was, um, I thought it was remarkable how many of these songs really talked about like, I, this world doesn't matter, I'm waiting for the next one. And in a sense, that is true. However, what is not true is that I'm not just sitting here waiting for this thing to go to hell in a handbasket and to just all be destroyed because God has a purpose for you and I, and that is to be about his kingdom. He is the one who is building his kingdom, and we are his people, his subjects, under his rule and his reign to be revealers of that kingdom. And we ask the question, God, where are you working today? What are you doing? What's, what's happening in my world in a way that I can reveal who you are, that I live under your rule and your reign? This is what it looks like. Well, Matthew chapter 5 is, uh, is, is, it really is descriptive of people who belong to the kingdom of God. These are people who have entered into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. These are people who have come in through Jesus, uh, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. They have faith in Jesus that he is the son of God, and they submit to him, and they say, yes, I want to be about what you're doing and so they enter into uh, becoming a Jesus follower, somebody who is a disciple, a learner of who Jesus is. And as a result, what happens is their lives change. And so what the Gospel of Matthew is telling us about is he's saying that this is descriptive. These are marks of kingdom people. Like if, if you are a kingdom person, these are marks of kingdom people. And so here's what we want to look at. I'm probably only going to get through four of these, what are called the Beatitudes uh, today, um, because my brother was long-winded. And so, in any case, um, I got the mic now. Uh, um, let's see here. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
So he has some disciples that come to him. He's going to start teaching them. This was Jesus' kind of method. He would just go somewhere, and then he would start teaching. And then he'd go somewhere, and he'd start teaching. And so he's teaching them, and this is what I would call his manifesto. This is what Jesus is, what he really came to say, what he's saying to us, what he's saying to you. And you and I, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we are people that must hear these words and and obey. Because what Jesus says at the end of his time on earth, before he ascends to heaven, is he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples Uh, And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And so our responsibility is to look at what Jesus has taught and to say, how can we obey this? How can we obey this? How can we as a church, as a group of people, be people who are obeying this? How can we uh, be people who have the marks of the kingdom? Well, as I said, the first way is through the cross. And then we go on from there. So here we go. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the first misconception about this is to say, well, if, if, if you're poor, then you're in the kingdom of heaven. So all poor people are in, all the rich people, all the Americans, they're out. So everyone here is hosed. Like, you don't have a hope. No, that's not what that's saying. It's not just that the, the poor people, and it's talking about people who are poor in spirit. And what does that mean? It means this. It is somebody who is humble in regard to his or her own capabilities. It's, it's somebody who's humble in regard to their own spiritual capabilities. To, say, to come to this point where they say, spiritually speaking, I cannot get to God. Spiritually speaking, in and of myself, I am destitute. They are recognizing their inabilities. They are, um, they are they're saying, like, I don't have what it takes. And ultimately what this means is it means that this is the prerequisite for those who desire to have relationship with God because of this. You can't come to God and say, you know what, I'm a pretty moral person. I like moral things. I like to feed the homeless. I like to uh, do nice things. I don't cheat on my spouse. I don't uh, cheat on my taxes. I don't whatever. So what, what this doesn't mean is this, is that somebody comes to God and says, okay, I'm a pretty good person, and I kind of match up with these people, and I'm pretty moral, and they're moral, and so we're kind of in the same boat. No, what this is saying is saying this. It is recognition that I don't have what it takes. It's recognition. There's so many people in our churches today that have uh, supposedly begun a relationship with God on their own merit, on their own abilities. They're not poor in spirit. They're proud in spirit. They're prideful people. We oftentimes can become prideful people. We're repeatedly kind of saying, like, look at what I've done. Look at who I am. And yet Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not will be. It's not like maybe later. It is this. It is those who are dependent upon God when it comes to their own capabilities, spiritually speaking. Those people, those people are in the kingdom of heaven because that only happens through the cross. 
that only happens through a recognition of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So, um, here we go. Uh, secondly, blessed are those, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So what's, what's this saying? Well, you look at our world. We look at our world. We look at all the things that are happening around us, the, the, the horrific things that have, that have happened in our midst. And, and it's not saying, well, you're blessed when horrific things happen to you. No, it's saying this. It's saying, as somebody who's in the midst of mourning, You're recognizing the sin. You're recognizing the destruction of sin, the destruction of the evil one, of the stuff that's going on in in your life and in my life and and in, 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 in our city. And you look at that and you say, this is horrendous. And you're mourning over, man, this is horrific. Or you may be mourning over stuff that's happening in your own life through the loss of a child through the loss of a marriage, a relationship, through the loss of a business, through the loss of all kinds of things. But what this is saying is it's saying that people who mourn will be comforted in the kingdom of God. And that's going to happen in two ways. It's going to happen, first of all, it's going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says he's going to send the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. So God himself is with us. He's among us. He's in us. He is the one who is here to comfort us. But oftentimes what we do is we neglect that and we say, I, 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 I don't need the comfort of that. And maybe we don't even say this consciously. But somehow we end up saying, I need comfort in some way, shape, or form. And so we, we look for comfort. Did you know that people, a lot of the the, the sickness that ails us, the stuff that goes wrong in our lives, the stuff that's not working right, the addictions, the, um, uh, the, the money, the sex and power, all of this stuff, all of that stuff is to take care of a segment of mourning in our life. I'm mourning the loss. I'm mourning the shame. I'm mourning the grief. I'm, I'm, I'm mourning the reality that I don't feel like I am enough. And so what do we enter into? We enter into some type of addiction. We enter into something that's going to numb the pain. And it may be something as simple as just overeating, or it may be something like binge-watching TV, or it may be something because your, your past is horrific, and so you've entered into, you know, opioid addiction or something. That's rampant in our city, in our state, as I, as I hear. And it's because we're mourning this stuff, and we're trying to kill that pain The Christian is somebody, the person who is about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that person knows this, that their mourning will not go unanswered. That their mourning, it matters. Like if there there is no God and there is no uh, real end to this world and and we're just all here by accident, then your mourning and your loss doesn't matter. But what this says is this, in the kingdom of God, in his kingdom, your loss matters to God. It matters to God. It matters so much that he sent the son to die on the cross to go through horrific pain so that you could experience tremendous joy. 
so that you could ultimately and finally be saved from this perpetual feeling of things are wrong, things are not working out. So he sent us the Holy Spirit. But secondly, what we have is we have a church community. And if you look at 2 Corinthians, which we're not going to do right now, but for, uh, 2 Corinthians, just that first chapter, and it, even on into chapter 7, it's talking about comfort. And it's saying the comfort that we receive, we're passing on to you, and we're, and, and, and we're comforting one another with the comfort that we, that we have from God. Like there is this deep and abiding comfort that comes from knowing God and from ultimately believing this, that God is ultimately and finally in control. Like he will finally exert his rule and his reign over this world, and all of the wrongs will be made right. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have the church, we have God's people, the community. But third, we have this future hope, which we see in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, which says this, and this is a vision about the end. And it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is the king who is speaking from the throne, from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And what's this, what's this saying? It's saying, in the end, God is going to right every wrong. And mourning will be wiped out, and there will be nothing left of that. Death is going to be destroyed. And so what we have hope in is this. As somebody who has come through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we enter into the kingdom of heaven, and so we have this hope. We have this hope that says our mourning is not in vain. Number three, which is verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Now, if you think about the word meek, what does this mean? It, it's very hard to understand in some ways because it, it's just like it's meek. It's, it's, it's kind of being nice and gentle and stuff. But I think uh, one commentator got it right when he said uh, he talks about the opposite of meekness. The opposite of meekness, he says, is this. This is Alan Street from his book, Heaven on Earth. He says, meekness is the opposite of being self-willed, overzealous, and aggressive. Many people in Jesus' day were calling for the forceful and violent overthrow of the Roman government. The meek do not follow this path. Now, I just, I just want to stop and just say here, like, this has been probably one of the biggest battles of my life as a Christian because... I, well, a little bit of my story, which was this. I felt like I was taken advantage uh, of when I was a kid. I think I just touched that. Okay. All right. Wow, that was scary. All right. When I was a kid, not in, a, in, a, in an abuse way, but I felt like I was taken advantage of by a particular uh, teacher and and, and, and whatnot. And so I felt abused. And so what I said to myself is no one will ever do that to me again. No one will ever treat me that way. No authority figure in my life will mistreat me again. And so what did I do? I, uh, I decided that I was going to take on the persona of a tough guy. And I, I, I know that may be surprising now, but, um, but I decided I was going to take on this persona. And if, 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 if you touch me, I'm going to punch your lights out. 
If you mess with me, I am really going to mess with you. I am going to take you down, sucker. And so my life was really characterized by this immediate reaction of like, I am going to take this, this threat out. These things are a threat in my life. And so meekness is not what I was. I saw meekness as weakness. I saw meekness as weakness. And so what I would express is a self-willed, overzealous, and aggressive behavior. I've told these stories before where I, a police officer pulled me over just right out here when I was, uh, I might have been 18, and right after some guy cuts me off and goes in the other lane, and, and I saw the cop behind me, I was like, oh, he's going to get him, and then all of a sudden the cop pulls me over. And so we pull over in front of the park over here, and, I, and I'm like, I am so ticked off right now, and so I get out of the truck, swing my door open, and walk back, back there and say, what are you doing? Why are you pulling me over? And do you know how police officers respond to that? I mean, this is even like 20 years ago. It was not good. It was, you are not going to talk to me that way. It was, I was cuffed and stuffed on the curb, right? I'm sitting there now, handcuffed, um, and while people are driving by going, I hope my parents don't see this, and whatever. Lo and behold, I go to church the next the next Sunday at my father's church, and this police officer is in the lobby. All right, and so that was, that was much. That was my aggressive behavior. I'm, I'm, I'm an aggressive person. Did you know that Christians so many times today uh, exude an aggressive behavior, an aggressive behavior towards our culture? Because we say, this culture is against us. How dare you uh, try to subvert what we're doing. This is religious intolerance. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take you down. And yet Jesus says, in the context of my kingdom, like when you are, this is a mark of a kingdom person who is not self-willed, overzealous, and aggressive. Because all we end up doing is we're responding exactly the same way that our culture does. Our culture operates on this idea of outrage culture. It's outrage culture. Every day you see this on social media, in the news. What are we going to be outraged about today? You can wake up every morning and you can see that. Christians, uh, all the fundamentalists, what are we going to be outraged about today? What are we, we going to be upset about? What's, what has, what has this, uh, this culture, this secular culture done to us that is now going to cause us to stand up and say, look at what you've, you've done, you've tried to thwart what we're doing and, and whatnot. It's outrage culture. And Christians pick up that same behavior. And it's as though we know nothing about the kingdom of God. We know nothing about the Beatitudes we know nothing about what God says is the behavior that's appropriate for people that are about his kingdom. And we end up being people who are outraged consistently. We take on their same mantra. I don't know if you've ever seen this bumper sticker that says, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. I'm assuming it's coming from a liberal perspective. I remember this a few years ago when we had a conservative person in, in uh, the White House. I guess we do now as well, so... I guess that can come back, but, um, but people so oftentimes would say, you're not really paying attention if you're not outraged about something. But you know what? That's the character of the enemy. It's outrage. It's rage. It's malice. It's those kinds of things. It's hatred of the other side. 
It's saying like this is, but Jesus is saying the way to sabotage the enemy, the way to take out this, this tank, the way to take out this, this thing is not through force and self-aggressive um, or, or self-willed behavior and aggressive behavior. The way to take out that enemy, the way to sabotage him in that is to come back with meekness. To come back with meekness, which is power under control. It's power that expresses mercy. It's understanding I do have the power to be outraged at you, but I'm withholding that because I'm a part of the kingdom. I'm, I'm sabotaging this instance right here and right now in my workplace, in my home, in, in the things that I'm doing. I'm sabotaging that because, and, and, I'm, and I'm enabling God's will to be done, his rule and his reign to be expressed right here and right now in this place. And so what, is, what does that look like? It, 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 means, it means this. It means that we're not responding sometimes. It means not going after every little thing that somebody says. It means not responding to that person on Facebook who continually posts things that, are, that may be hateful or against you or against your cause or against your, your stuff. It means being somebody who says, you know what? God is my protector. He is the one. He is the thing that is going on here. It says in Proverbs 26, 20, it says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. What, what's, what's that mean? means, you know what? Just close your mouth. Just close your mouth. Stop the aggressive behavior and let it go. Just let that go on by. Let, uh, I, I'm not saying abuse. I think uh, abuse should be called out. I think things should be spoken. There are things that are under the rule and reign of God that we should say, this should not happen. Our children should be able to live in, in, in peace and safety. But, what, but the vast majority of things that we're talking about are things that we could say, you know what, I'm not going to throw any more wood on this fire because ultimately it's not about politics. It's about God's kingdom. It's not about the stuff that I think it needs to be about. It's about God's kingdom. I need to be somebody who's meek because I'm in the kingdom of God. And then lastly is this. Blessed are those, verse 6, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. To hunger and to thirst for righteousness. You know, uh, we get really comfortable right here and right now. We get comfortable with life. We get comfortable with the way that things are. And, and, and really, we, we just kind of get ingrained, like I said, with this whole meekness thing. We get ingrained with the outrage. We get ingrained with, with everything that our culture's throwing at us, saying, oh, it's just normal. But Jesus is saying, that's not normal. And, it's, and what he's saying is he's saying, we must be people who are longing for God. So much so that we're saying, I want righteousness. I want truth in the inward being. I want there to be justice. I want things to be made right so much. But even more than that is this, is that like we look at that and we say, I want righteousness so much that I realize that I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. 
In Psalm 42, uh, the psalmist says this, 42 verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Like, the, what Jesus is talking about to us is he is saying that the person who is about his kingdom is not someone who's just who's assimilated into culture and said, everything's fine, everything goes. Because I have the desire, I'm going to respond to that. No, it's somebody who says, no, it's not up to me. I feel the impending judgment on myself. I feel the wrath and the anger of God towards the fact that I am a sinful being, and I long for it, and I thirst for it, and I, I'm, I'm hungering for it as somebody who is hungry, like hunger pains, that are, your, your stomach is just in knots, and you just want something to eat. Are we people that are thirsting for, that are hungering for the righteousness of God? Are we those kinds of people that we want his righteousness and yet we're meek toward our culture? We want his righteousness and yet we know I don't have the ability or the capacity to be able to be that person on my own. Jesus says... The mark of a person who's about the kingdom of God, who longs for that, and who knows that they will be satisfied and are satisfied. Because of this, because of Jesus, the apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.9, he, um, he says he doesn't have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What's that, what's that saying? It's saying, I realize I don't have the capacity to fix myself spiritually. I realize that all that, that's really happening in this world, I'm a cause for mourning. I'm a cause for this stuff. Through my lack of meekness, I realize all of these things, and as a result, I don't have a righteousness of my own. I don't have what it takes. I see the pain that I've caused. I see the stuff in my life that still does this. I see all the problems, and I don't have what it takes. Paul says that that kind of righteousness, that availability, is it comes to us through Jesus, and he says, it's not my righteousness. It's not my moral standing. It's not what I have done. But it's what Jesus has done through his life by doing everything that I am supposed to do perfectly. He does it. And even though he does it perfectly bringing in his kingdom, living under the rule and reign of the God his Father as God himself. And yet he still has to go to the cross, and he goes to the cross for you and for me. Why? To give you a righteousness that's not of your own. To give you what you lack. To give you the thing that you lack the most which is a righteousness before God, 
which is a rightness before him, which is right standing before God. What happens is this, is that that righteousness that he gives to us, it justifies. It justifies. It makes us right before God. He declares us righteous, and he gives us justification. Do you know that most of our lives are filled with all of this pain and suffering, this mourning, this lack of meekness, this aggressive behavior, all of this stuff to say, I need to justify my existence. I need to justify who I am. I need to justify to everyone else what's going on. And ultimately, your battle and my battle, our struggle is to say that I have ultimate and final justification for my life. You, this, this happens all over our lives. It happens in, in relationships. When we're, when we're rejected, one of the things that we find out is this, is that I do not feel like I have justification. You, I'm not getting the justification that I want from this person. They don't see me as the right person. When I don't get the job that I want... When things fall apart in various ways in our lives, what's happening to us is this, is that we do not have the justification that we want. Jesus says the ultimate thing that you and I want, the ultimate thing that we desire is justification, and it only comes through his, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, so that his righteousness can come to us. And he can look at us and say, you are forgiven. And I love you, and you are my child, and you, you're my son or my daughter, but you are under my rule and my reign. Are you somebody who is living under the rule and reign of King Jesus? Because he went to the cross for you. And let me just tell you, when those four things happen, it shows that we have a dependence upon God. The rest of our life can flow out of that. The rest of our life can flow out of that, and people will begin to see some things. But I can't get into that today because that's the other half of today's sermon. So next week, we'll do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us your righteousness. We thank you for, um, God, giving us something that we do not deserve. Lord, I pray that we would exalt uh, in what you've done for us on the cross to enable us to be a part of your kingdom and to truly be dependent subjects on our king. And so, Lord, I pray that that would move throughout our church and then in, into our homes and into our city, Lord, that this city would see <coughs> that you really are king of kings and Lord of lords, that you really are uh, reigning on your throne. And Lord, may, be, may it be inviting and glorious to the people around us. Lord, we ask you for this in, uh, in our church, in our city, Lord, in our events that we have um, at various times, at Richmond Elementary, uh, Lord, at the, the various things that are going to be taking place here. Lord, we ask you for this. It's in your son's great name we pray. Amen.